good to be here again this morning and worship the Lord together. Did you ever come to church with sore toes? Some of you probably say you might have left with sore toes, but sometimes I get to church with sore toes. And no, that's just a figurative speech, a figure of speech, okay? Um, I'm going to put a little disclaimer here at the beginning, because when I give the title, I don't want you to close your ears and uh, think I've gone off the deep end somewhere until you hear me to the end, okay? Because the title I have is Little Sins. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 7. Now some of you probably know why I gave that disclaimer now when you hear that title. I want to uh, look largely at the first five verses of Matthew 7. Of course, you're probably familiar that this is the end of what we call the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, so what we're looking at are words that Jesus gave to his followers uh, when he was here on this earth. And I'll say right up front, I don't claim to have all the answers or know everything for uh, the subject that's related in these verses. And a lot of things I have this morning are not original with me. Matthew 7, verse 1, Judge not that ye be not judged. For with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, Let me pull out the mote out of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thine own eye? Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the mote out of thy brother's eye. Now, when we first read that, that's pretty self-explanatory, pretty plain, isn't it? And it is. But too many times I get it all wrong. And too many times I see others that maybe get it wrong. So Jesus here is directing us how to conduct ourselves in relation to the faults of others. And largely, uh, this probably is aimed at the scribes and Pharisees. So now maybe you can understand why sometimes I come to church with sore toes. Because some of these things probably are geared more towards those that are leaders than to those that aren't. Now, in our Sunday school class, we talked about some things this morning. And uh, the question was, 
in, in things in life, um, are these things, or how does a minister live his life? And somebody said, well, their dad uh, should be that too. And I said, that's exactly right. A lot of times in life, there are things that are good for all leaders to do. When I say all leaders, I'm talking about fathers. I'm talking about whoever. It's good for them to do, but some of those things it is expected of the of a leader. And so there's a little different level there. And so here, seems like this reproof is intended for the scribes and Pharisees because they were rigid and severe about condemning some of those things that the others didn't do um, and conceded about what they were doing because they were doing things right. So there's a caution. I'm going to read just a brief overview that I got from a commentary and then we'll go into it in a little more detail. We must judge ourselves and judge of our own acts but not make our word a law to everybody. We must not judge rashly, nor pass judgment upon our brother without any ground. We must not make the worst of people. Here is a just reproof to those who quarrel about the brethren for small faults, while they allow themselves in greater ones. Some sins are as motes, while others are as beams, some as a gnat, others as a camel. Not that there is any sin little. So you understand now where I came up with the little sins, okay? This writer says, not that there is any sin little. If it is a moat or a splinter, as we would say in our day, it's in the eye. If it is a gnat, it is in the throat. Both are painful and dangerous, and we cannot be easy or well till they are got out. That which charity teaches us to call but a splinter in our brother's eye, true repentance and godly sorrow will teach us to call a beam in our own. I want to read that one again, okay? If I can find it again. That which charity teaches us to call but a splinter in our brother's eye, true repentance and godly sorrow will teach us to call a beam in our own eye. Too many times we get it the other way around. What we call a beam in our brother's eye, we would view as a splinter in our eye. Okay? It is as strange that a man can be in a sinful miserable condition and not be aware of it as that a man should have a beam in his eye and not consider it. But the God of this world blinds their minds. Here's a good rule for reprovers. First, reform yourself. Uh, probably would change that to let God reform you. So, the first verse says, judge not. 
God's rule is be subject to one another. James 3 says, My brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation or the stricter judgment. So we need to be careful in our consideration of others. We must not sit in the judgment seat to make our word law to everybody. We must not speak evil of our brother. James 4.11 says, Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of his brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. So it's pretty easy for me, anyhow, to cross that line of passing judgment on somebody's actions. And if I do that, then I become guilty as a judge and not somebody that lives up to what God's word teaches us. We must not despise him, nor set him at naught. Romans 14.10 says, Why do you judge your brother, or why do you show contempt, contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. We've got to answer one day for what we do, how we act, our sins. Be they what we call a splinter or a beam. So I don't forget it. I, uh, I remember a man from years ago when I was a teenager that had a pain in his eye. And he went to the doctor and the doctor could not find it. They couldn't see anything. Finally they found out. This man was a farmer. Finally, they found out there was a little hair-like sliver of a corn leaf that had gone straight into the man's eye. And it couldn't be seen. But every time that man's eyelid or something rubbed over it, it was painful. And they got that out and he was better. I remember one time I had something in my eye. And... Uh, I don't know if I have sensitive eyes or what. I cannot understand how somebody can wear contacts. I'm sorry. I just can't stand things in my eye. But I had something that was irritating my eye, and I went to my regular doctor, and they looked. I wish they would have put an eye drop in there to numb it, but he said, no, we can't do that because then you'll do more damage. But they couldn't find anything. So I went home. And I just could not get relief. So I finally went to an eye specialist. And the first thing they did was put a drop in there to numb it. That felt good. But what they found was a little speck that was sharp embedded in my eyelid that was about the same color as my eyelid so that it was hard to see. But he said it just looked like a cat had scratched my eyeball. That's a little bit what we're looking at when we're looking at a splinter in somebody's eye. 
Now it's a little easier to get out that uh, piece of sawdust that's as big around as a dime. That's easier to get, but it's still painful. We must not judge rashly nor pass such a judgment upon our brother as has no grounds, but is only the product of our own jealousy and ill nature. Oh, well, we wouldn't do something like that. Really? We must not make the worst of people, nor infer such, and I'm here again, this word came from somebody else, so I've got a definition here coming. Nor infer such invidious, unfairly, I'm sorry, invidious things from their words and actions as they will not bear. Anybody know what invidious means? I didn't. Invidious means... Likely to arouse or incur resentment or anger in others. Unfairly discriminating or unjust. And these actions and words are something that the person they're aimed at cannot stand up under. We must not judge uncharitably or unmercifully nor with a spirit of revenge and a desire to do mischief. Now, I underline this next little bit in my notes so I wouldn't miss it. We must not judge of a man's state by a single act, nor of what he is in himself by what he is to us. You understand what I'm saying there? You don't judge. In other words, I don't judge Gerald by what Gerald is to me. Because my perception can be wrong about Gerald. Now, I'm not picking on Gerald. I just feel like Gerald can take some of these personal things like this. Okay, thank you. All right, I'm going to go back and read and continue on. We must not judge of a man's state by a single act, nor of what he is in himself by what he is to us, because in our own cause we are apt to be partial. Pretty soon we can get pretty partial about what we believe and promote about people. We must not judge the hearts of others, nor their intentions. Why not? Because it's God's prerogative to try the heart. And I noticed a verse in our memory this morning, in our review, uh, Isaiah 42, verse 8 says, I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory will I not give to another, neither my praise to graven images. It's God's job to try somebody's heart, not mine, not yours. Because I don't see it correctly. You could think about um, the choosing of David as king. God told Samuel, I don't see like you see. 
I see the heart. You look on a man's outward appearance. God looks at the heart. It is God's prerogative to try the heart, and we must not step into his throne, nor must we judge of their eternal state, nor call them hypocrites, reprobates, and castaways. Yes, we see a lot of people today that we would probably put, could probably put in that class. Jesus could do that because he knew these people's hearts. But it's not mine to call people a hypocrite, even though I am sometimes. I pretend to be something I'm not, and that's being a hypocrite. Then the last statement in that thing is, counsel him and help him, but do not judge him. So, why, why is Jesus saying, don't judge your brother? The next phrase says, so that I'm not judged. Okay? There's a lot of these things that come back and forth. If we presume, presume to judge others, we may expect to be judged ourselves. thing is that judgment might not come from you but it might come from somebody that knows everything about it man can be judged by man um, in the Ishmael in 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 Genesis, it talks about every man's hand. I'm sorry, Ishmael, Ishmael's hand was out against everybody, and everybody's hand was going to be against him. There's a, a, a uh, hate to call it retaliation, but there is a uh, treating in kind, okay? If we be modest and charitable in our censures of others and decline judging them, the judge observes and judge ourselves rather, we shall not be judged of the Lord. God forgives those that forgive others. He doesn't forgive me if I won't forgive others. If I won't forgive Andrew, I can't expect God to forgive me. It's simple as that. Well, that's not real simple sometimes, but that's what happens. God won't judge us if we judge, don't judge our brother. God will judge us if we judge our brother. The merciful shall find mercy. The judging of those that judge others is according to the law of retaliation. With what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And you find that in verse 2. With what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. There's an example, maybe a gross example, 
But back in the life of the children of Israel, God's people went out to battle against Adonai Bezek in Judges 1, and it says this, And then Adonai Bezek fled, and they pursued him and cut off, caught him and cut off his thumbs and his big toes. And Adonai Bezek said, Seventy kings with their thumbs and big toes cut off used to gather scraps under my table. As I have done, so God has repaid me. Then they brought him to Jerusalem, and there he died. With what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. Perhaps in this world, I'm sorry, I need to put a sentence together here. With what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. Perhaps in this world, so that men may read their sin into their punishment. As we fail, as we sin against our brother, we can expect retaliation from God. Let this deter us from all severity in dealing with our brother. What would become of us if God should be as exact and severe in judging us as we are in judging our brother? If he should weigh us in the same balance. If God used the same balance as I use as a human being in relation to other people's faults, where would I be? Verse just came to my mind, um, and now it left. Um, talking about if God re- would regard iniquity the way I do, who would stand? Somebody maybe can help me with that verse and that reference. Um, but it's in the scripture. Well, that's that's in our in our. I think it's an Old Testament verse. I have to try to find it. I shouldn't have mentioned it because I didn't don't have it down, and it didn't come across it when I was studying. But um, uh, well, anyhow, I'll try to get it later. We may justly expect it if we be extreme to mark what our brethren did amiss. In this. As in other things, the violent dealings of men return upon their own heads. I just see it too many times, even in the life of conservative people, where judgment is brought down on people, and I fear that they think they're not quite as bad because they aren't in these big sins. They're in the little category. They have little failures. I want to tell you something. Sin is sin. And sin separates from God. God doesn't look at one sin as, uh, yep, well, what what did I read here in, in the beginning? There maybe are degrees, but sin is still sin. And sin separates. Just because we aren't to judge doesn't mean that we don't to help somebody out.
Because we must not judge others, which is a great sin, it does not therefore mean that we must not reprove others, which is a great duty. And may we be a means of saving, and may it be a means of saving a soul from death. However, it will be a means of saving our souls from sharing their guilt. We work at reproving somebody. We will work to save their soul and not to reveal guilt. You see the difference? Not everyone is fit to reprove. Look at what these verses say. Verse 3. Why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? If I can't see, I have no business trying to clear that speck out of your eye. None whatsoever. I need to get rid of that beam so I can see clearly. I even need to get rid of that speck so I can see clearly to help you get rid of your speck. These verses is a just reproof to the people that are censoring who quarrel with their brother for small faults while they themselves allow great ones in their own life. Those who are quick-sighted to spy moat or that little speck in his eye but are not sensible of a beam in their own. There's just no way for them to see clearly to pull that speck out when they can't see clearly. I said earlier, sin is sin, and sin separates us from God. Too many times I wonder if we don't view things as personality, or a weakness, or a failure, or a fault. And they might all be true, but you know mankind today is um, good at watering down and calling sin something different than sin so it don't feel so bad. So sometimes I see a personality flaw or a weakness, or a failure, or a fault, when I need to look at it as sin. So that I can see clearly to help somebody in life. Our own sins ought to appear greater to us than the same sins in others. That which charity teaches us to call but a splinter in our brother's eye, true repentance and godly sorrow would teach us to call a beam in our own. Am I willing to do that? What I see as a speck in Gerald's eye, if it's in my eye, I would view it as a beam. But no, 
I want to view it as a beam in Gerald's eye and a speck in mine. And that's backwards. Somebody said it this way. The sins of others must be extenuated. Y'all know what that means? Anybody know what extenuated means? I didn't, okay? Gerald, are you shaking your head or are you just agreeing? Do you know what extenuated means? Okay. All right. And I, I, I shouldn't pick on Gerald. I, I did go back and look up the definition for it, okay? It is to cause an offense to seem less serious. So, when we're looking at the sins of others, we ought to extenuate it, okay? That's not taking away that sin is serious. But we tend to magnify the sins of others, and we want to suppress ours. And that's backwards. The sins of others should be extenuated or caused to seem less serious, and ours aggravated. There are many that have beams in their own eyes and yet do not consider it. They are under the guilt and dominion of very great sins and yet are not aware of it, but justify themselves as if they needed no repentance, no reformation. It is as strange that a man can be in such a sinful, miserable condition and not be aware of it as that a man should have a beam in his eye and not consider it. Y'all have probably seen some of those people. Maybe you've seen me at times when, you know, can't that guy see he's got a beam in there? He can't see clearly? So how has that happened? Someone said it this way, the God of this world artfully blinds their minds that notwithstanding with great assurance, they say we see. In other words, we're blind but yet we say we can see clearly. But we really can't. It is common, or at least not uncommon, for those who are most sinful themselves and least sensible to it to be most forward and free in judging and censoring others. The Pharisees, who were most haughty in judging themselves, were most scornful in condemning others. Remember what they said about Christ to Christ about his disciples? They didn't wash their hands before they ate. But, yet they would go out and they encouraged a man in contempt to his parents, which was condemned by the law. Pride and uncharitableness are commonly beams in the eyes of those that pretend to be critical and nice in their censure of others. Many are guilty of that secret which they have the face to punish in others when it is discovered. 
somebody wrote something in another language, and I don't understand the other language, but they interpreted it this way. Reflect that perhaps the fault of which you complain might on a strict examination be discovered in yourself and that it would be unjust publicly to express indignation against your own crime. In other words, I wouldn't say that about myself publicly, but I'll say it about Gerald publicly. Our sight is blinded. I could say more about those verses. First, cast out the beam out of your own eye, and then you can see clearly to cast out the mote out of your brother's eye. Restore with a spirit of meekness, considering yourself. What you have been, what you are, what you would be, if God should leave you to yourself. Restore in a spirit of meekness, considering what you have been, what you are, what you could be, if God leaves you to yourself. Saw on a church sign, every saint has a past, every sinner has a future. Now you could say every saint has a future too. That's correct. But every saint has a past. We were something that wasn't pretty. In fact, we were something that was ugly. That was opposed to God. Sinners are what is ugly, what is opposed to God. But there's a future that they can have. So I better not feel too good about where I am, where I came from, to the point that I look down on somebody that maybe hasn't arrived. First, cast the beam out of your own eye. Then you can see clearly. It's not right to say... I have a beam in my eye, therefore I can't help my brother with his moat. The solution to that is get rid of your beam with God's help, and then you can help with that moat. Something maybe unrelated, but I still think it has a, um, a vital thought behind it. The snuffers of the sanctuary were to be of pure gold. These little things that were to put out the fire needed to be of pure gold. Unblemished. That's what God wants from us. Not judgment of our brother. I want to finish up this morning by reading down in the chapter a little further. Again, the words of Jesus starting at verse 17 of chapter 7 of Matthew. Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, 
neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? Then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine, and doeth them, is, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock, and the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And every one that heareth these sayings of mine, and doeth them not, shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And the rains descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. And it came to pass when he, Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Now a number of things came to my mind as I read that account about the foolish and wise builder. Of course it goes to the children's song, the wise man built his house upon a rock. My mind also went back to years a day, years years ago, uh, in chorus. In chorus, we sang a song, Brother Lloyd Hartzler, about this wise man and foolish man. And I can still almost hear the one part of that song where it talked about and it fell. Y'all remember that one? And uh, it was a sad sounding. Um, I was about ready to say sad-sounding sad melody, uh, sad-sounding sad, sad, sad chord um, when it talked about the fall of the building that was not built on Christ. It was not built on the solid rock. We have a choice to hear and keep on hearing and do and keep on doing or to hear and keep on hearing and not do and keep on not doing. And they're entirely different results one way or the other. Just remember the way we treat others is the way God looks at us. If we forgive, we can expect forgiveness. If we don't forgive, we don't need to look for forgiveness because Scripture tells us it won't happen. We have a song, please. <laughs> 